The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your guest host, Ian Fisher, filling in for Beth Heaton, who is out on vacation this week, and I know she's having a great time. Uh, We're recording this show on Thursday, April 13th, and if you're listening, it's at least April 20th. That means there are only about 10 more days until seniors have to make their final decisions about where to attend, about 10 more days until colleges begin to make calls to students on their wait lists, about 10 more days until this cycle wraps for another class of seniors. A pause, a breath, and a congratulations to those of you in the class of 2017 who have reached the finish line. Way to go. Today's show is a sort of passing of the torch from one class into another. In our finance segment, we'll be helping senior families think a little bit about loan options and the best approach to funding your education with lending. And we'll educate you juniors on the concept of gaming the application process or not by applying to less selective majors and programs. But first, we want to talk a little bit about statistics and college admission, and we want to do it a little bit with an eye on what our seniors have learned from schools that they applied to over the course of this past year. To do that, please welcome my best bud in the whole wide world, Emily <laughs> Toffelmeyer. <laughs> Hi, Emily. How's it going? Wow. Hi, Ian. That, that's news to me. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings to say that, but... Uh... Well, it's hyperbole (laughs) Thursday today, so um, I just thought I'd bring you in with that little title. (laughs) Um, So when we, you and I took a look at this and, you know, sometimes we do the planning for the show and there are a lot of us here at College Coach that get together to talk about what's going to be on the radio show. And the the thing that was put in um, as the title for this segment was Statistics Lie, Why Applying to More Highly Selective Schools Doesn't Increase the Odds of Getting In. Um, I don't know if we want to totally assault the concept of data here. I don't know that we have the capacity to do that. But I do think I want to talk a little bit to help our, our juniors as they're putting lists together to think about how stats and numbers and, and other pieces of admission data can be useful as they're building their list. So let's start with kind of a simple question here. Um, what kind of language do we use and how do we tell a student about their chances of getting into any given college? Sure. Well, I think with, with us specifically, uh, the lingo that we like to use are terms like um, no problem, just right, and challenging. And everybody's probably heard a variation on this, like safeties or targets or reaches. Um, so I think those three categories students and parents might already be familiar with. Um, so a no problem would be just, it's a really clear admit for you. You are very admissible to the school because of where your GPA and test scores lie. 
So this will often be maybe a public university or a moderately or less selective school where it's pretty black and white admission process as far as what you need to do, uh, what your numbers need to be to be admitted. Um, your just right schools would be those where you are kind of the average admitted student. You just fall right there in that middle 50% range of students who get in. And challenging would be just what it sounds like. It's going to be a challenge for you to be admitted. Um, and oftentimes, this will be not just a challenge for you, but for the majority of students applying. So these will be schools where they're admitting maybe fewer than 20% of students or maybe where you just happen to be below average for the usual pool of those who are admitted. Yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff in there to unpack. When you were, when you were at USC doing admission, um, how much interaction did you have with College Confidential, the website? I avoided that website like the plague. Right. I think there's so much misinformation on that site that it was almost upsetting to read it. Um, there was just so much myth and lies and hearsay. And what really bothered me is that the bulk of that misinformation honestly seemed to be coming from parents. And yeah, I just so, found it very unhealthy and unhelpful. And I had one coworker who would read it religiously, and you would hear her getting worked up in her cubicle over what she was reading. I just I didn't really see any point in reading it. So to this day, whenever parents bring up looking at message boards or things like that, I tell them to take everything with a grain of salt that they see on that message board or really any other. Right, or an entire dump truck of salt in, in that case. I, I just remember there was an element of College Confidential where kids would post their stats and they'd be like, chance me, right? Or they'd tell me like, what are my chances of getting into school X or Y? And and I think often what students are looking for and sometimes what they ask us, even when we use this no problem or just right or challenging language, they ask us, but what are my chance? Like they want a percentage chance. They want to know, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is, how can you tell me what my likelihood of getting into a school is? And very rarely do they want to talk about their chances of getting into their no problem school. Because they feel like, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm looking there. But what are my what are my chances of getting into a, a more selective uh, school, uh, like especially a top school? And I think what what people often look at um, is admit rate, right? Um, admit rate tends to correlate with selectivity, um, or it is it measures selectivity, not necessarily the difficulty of getting in. But what does what does the admit rate have to do with a student's chances of getting into a school? Let's say we've got a school that admits 10 percent of applicants. Does that mean that I have a 10% chance of getting in? <laughs> Not exactly. I mean, I always find it more valuable. There's only some value in admit rate. I think it's a helpful number to start with, but I think it's much more valuable to just look at the published averages of the students who are admitted, and that will give you a much better idea of where you fall on that admissibility spectrum. Um, because, you know, for example, there are some schools where their admit rate might be you know, 40%, and then they decide to move over to the common application, which increases their number of applications greatly, and they suddenly drop to a 20% admission rate. Does that mean that the caliber of students suddenly got better or that you suddenly have to have 100 more points on your SAT to get in? No, it's just that a lot more people applied and they didn't make any room in the freshman class, so therefore their admission rate just drops. Right, and, and so admission rate is a, is a basic fraction. How many applicants do you have? how many students got in, right? Divide students got in by applicants, you've got a percentage. And, and it's important, I think, to understand the way that stu- that colleges can count applications can be very different. Some schools mm-hmm. will count applications that are just started. Um, you know, if I add them on my Common App and fill out a form, even if I don't actually press submit, they might count that as an application. Um, and so you don't necessarily have a perfect picture of how admit rate 
connects to your chances of getting in, which is why using the average statistics um, for grades and courses is really helpful. But, but that doesn't go far enough when we talk about the most selective schools, right? Because the range at some point hits a ceiling and there's really no way to get up past, you know, 800 points on a, on a section of a test score. There's no way to get past a 4.0 on a GPA. There's a ceiling there. And so stats can't be helpful when we get up into a higher level of school. Mm-hmm. Why is that the case? Well, I think it's because the the numbers are the thing that kind of gets you in the door. And, and you know, they are pretty much required. I think, um, you know, Beth, Beth Heaton, our coworker, who has had a couple of articles up recently on Huffington Post, she does a really good job of pretty bluntly laying out, like, here's what the average academics and transcript and GPA and test score looks like for a student who's actually admitted to an Ivy League school. And, I mean, you can read those, and there's a chance you might find those articles pretty depressing and, and kind of demoralizing because the level of academic achievement you have to have to be competitive at those schools just to get your foot in the door is really off the charts. But that's not enough because, you know, how many valedictorians apply to Harvard? How many perfect or nearly perfect SAT scores apply to these schools? So I think at this level, yeah, you have to go beyond the numbers, and that's frustrating for some people because then it loses all of its predictability, and it's no longer a quantifiable model, which is what so many people, like on College Confidential, want admission to be. But when you're working with that highly selective school, you just you, there's not a formula for it. It just comes down to personal qualities and distinguishing excellence and even sometimes institutional need and demographics and things like that that maybe are out of your control or that maybe can't really be turned into a predictable number or outcome. Right. The predictability is, I think, the most important word when we talk about a student's chances of getting in. Um, and, and that's because we're looking at, at a set of factors that are finite, like that we're talking about here that are numeric, but we don't know what a teacher letter of recommendation contains. We don't know how an essay, especially a risky essay, is going to be received by an admission office. There are elements of, of predictability that are really challenging as schools get more and more selective. And when we put you know schools into a challenging category, Uh, A lot of what we're trying to say to students there is we can't predict with any level of certainty, even given your excellence, your academic excellence, that you're going to get into these schools. And that's just the nature of these highly selective institutions. And, you know, this is something that not a lot of students and parents, I think, understand, really wrap their head around. Certainly not something that I understood as a high school student. I I applied to 10 schools that admitted about 10 percent of their applicants thinking I would get into one because I felt like I had a one in 10 shot. Um, and, you know, I think I've talked with this, uh, about this with Beth on the show before, but, you know, some people have a 0% chance of getting into an Ivy League school. And some students have a 75% chance of getting into an Ivy League school. But there's no way at the beginning of the application process to zero in on those kinds of numbers, which is what makes it, I think, really challenging. Um, I want to talk to you, Emily. You, you and I were discussing this before the show. We've got our own sets of seniors. They're getting some decisions back. Um, and we have different types of kids in terms of how they balance their list and how they chose where to apply. And our goal here on this show is to help students be more informed as they're putting their list together going forward. Um, what can you share about what you've learned from, from your high school seniors and their decisions that might be useful for a junior who's starting to think about their college list. Sure. I'll also point out how vastly different, Ian, our 
college application experiences were. Um, you went a little heavy on the challenging schools and maybe had some disappointments. I, on the other hand, applied to one university where something like 80% of applicants were admitted and I was, I, it was a safety school for me. It was my local public university. That was my entire college application process was the one school, which maybe some parents listening to this can relate. They might have had a very similar college application process, which is why this new version of applying for college where your kid might be asking for 20 application fees can seem so confusing and overwhelming and even unnecessary at times. So I get that. I'm coming from a very different place as far as my own experience. But what I've seen from my seniors this year, and just using the two, two examples of very different approaches, uh, I have a student who applied to six schools. That was it. She was pretty much already decided on her list. She had mostly schools where she was a likely admit or it was a really a no problem school for her. She was admitted to five of the six of those. The one she wasn't admitted to was the one that was more of a reach. Um, she felt really good about herself throughout the school year as she was receiving these decisions. She had applied early to some places. So she had these five offers in her pocket. She had great options. She got excited about several of them and has made a decision that she's really happy with. Um, on the other hand, I worked with a senior who eventually applied to maybe 20 schools, which is not my suggestion. I don't suggest anybody apply to that many schools. And she went very, very heavy on the challenging schools and very light on the safety and the likely schools. And she has a few options to consider, and she's probably deciding on one this week. But it was really disheartening for her to receive something like 15 rejections um, and some wait lists. Uh, that didn't feel good. Uh, and she knew it might be coming, and her parents knew it might be coming, and they seemed like they were prepared for it, but you can still tell that it took a toll on the family and on the student, on her self-esteem, on how she feels about finishing out her high school and how excited or not excited she is about the options that she does have. They just had very different experiences and their reaction to them. You could really tell who kind of had the happier, um, more pleasant experience and who also, by the way, the student with six college applications, she had a lot fewer supplements to write and a lot less stress to go through. I think yeah. that may be added to the quality of her senior year as well. Well, yeah, and when you have fewer supplements to write, you're also able to put more and better energy into the handful that you do have. And when you look at 15 mm -hmm. schools with an essay each, that's 15 extra essays. And so you're stretching yourself even more thin as you're applying across all of those institutions. Um, and look, I had the same experience as Emily with, with my students. I had one student that was really thoughtful and engaged in, in what he was looking for out of a college, um, was really receptive to the idea of balance in his list. Um, he got into most of the schools he applied to, and including his top choice early action, um, and was is basically just really enjoyed the spring because he's, he's felt very good about what he put forth. Um, other students that I have who are, and I want to make this clear, who are equally talented students, who are really confident and capable, who have really impressive applications because of the nature of their college lists are getting many, many more denies than, than admits. And that's, that's only a fault of how they put their list together. And I, I think that, you know, what, what we try and say to students is that you really have to prepare for this eventuality. If you're going to apply to mostly highly selective institutions, the math suggests that you're not going to get into most of them. Um, and so you, and you might not get into any of them. 
In fact, the math suggests that you probably won't. And so um, unless you're a really, really exceptional kid, and I would also put in a plug for Beth's uh, HuffPost series. You can search for who gets into Harvard on, on Huffington Post. And unless, you're, unless you're one of those kids, it's, it's really hard to, to make that work. Um, why do people have, I mean, students have trouble with this a little bit. I think part of it is they only apply to college once and they just want to see what happens. Um, do you have any other sort of thoughts about why students are putting lists together of this type or what can, what's good advice for them to take away so that they have a, a better crafted list at the end of the day? Um, I mean, I think they do it because it's human nature. I think you just, you know, you, I, I talk to a lot of students who they think, well, I might as well try, right? If I don't try, I'm always right. going to wonder. Um, and, and that's hard to argue with. And, I'm as, and as a parent, I'm sure it's even harder to argue with. But as a parent, you ultimately are the one usually paying the application fee and, you know, making the decision. So it, you do have a, a right to be a part of that conversation. But I know it's hard to convince them not to do it. Um, so I, I think it's just basic human psychology as far as that goes. But I think there's that coincides with not a lot of thought being put into the list. Like, a lot of students who will apply to you know, colleges they're not all that interested in because they're in a rural area or a small town and they really want to live in a big city. So then they'll apply mm-hmm. and get into the smaller school where they had no intention of going and they're just taking that spot away from somebody else. And so I feel like people do that with schools they know they're probably not going to get into as well. Like, you're, you're really just possibly taking a spot from somebody else. Um, you're not really looking at the rightness of fit. Like, for the students who blanket apply to all the Ivies, those are some really profoundly different schools that some of them do not have much in common. Um, yeah. And so I, I, just, I just wonder, you know, I don't, I don't think you're serving yourself well. I don't think you're doing your college search right. I don't think you're considering the right factors. Um, I think you're just kind of, you know, wishing on a star. And I know it's hard to tell your student not to do that. Um, but I think they need to take a closer look at the fit factors to be sure it's really worthwhile, especially when, you know, look at that Princeton supplement. We talked about that on the show before. That is a heavy, yeah. heavy yeah. supplement. It is a lot yeah. of long analytical writing. And I think that tells you something about Princeton and whether or not it's going to be a good fit for you. I, I, I love that you brought out that point of, is it a place that you really want to be? Is it a place that you, you really want to go? And I, there's this, I want everybody out there as you're building your list, do not assume that just because a college is highly ranked, that it's going to be a place that you're going to like. Um, just because a college is something that people know does not mean it's a place that you're going to like. And we've got to figure out a way to help students understand a little better that they're not just making a decision so that they can tell people where they got in, you know, at the end of their senior year of high school, but they're really making a commitment to attend this institution for four years. And I think a broader perspective on that helps them to make a a better choice long-term for their educational goals. Um, Emily, we're just about out of time. I want to share a couple of sources. Uh, There is a great blog post on MIT. If you search for MIT blog, the difficulty with data, you'll find a really interesting post on why data is sometimes uh, troublesome in highly selective admissions. You can look at Beth's post on who gets into Harvard. That's on the Huffington Post. Um, And I just did a series on highly selective admissions also on the Huffington Post. And if you search for me, Ian Brooke Fisher plus Huffington Post, you'll be able to get to those articles. Um, Emily, thanks a lot uh, for coming on the show and and discussing with me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ian. After this uh, short message from our sponsors, we'll be right back to talk about the college major. Don't go away. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Before we get into our next segment, I want to apologize to fans of the University of Connecticut women's basketball team. When I last hosted the show two weeks ago, I jinxed the team by saying that they would certainly win the women's final four by the time our recording would air. They had won 111 games in a row after all. And and uh, why would I expect them to lose? Um, of course, Mississippi State defeated them in the national semifinals in a thrilling overtime game, which I watched, um, ending UConn's unbeaten streak. So if you'd like to hear me incorrectly predict what seems like a future certainty, dig into our episode archives. You can listen to past episodes, get advice on essays or testing, and find spotlights on specific essay supplements and a lot of moments where I was wrong just because we recorded ahead of time. Uh, There's a treasure trove of content buried there and nothing to stop you at all from digging it up. All right. For our next segment, I'd like to welcome to the show our list guru, Miss Julia Jones. Good afternoon, Julia. Hey, Ian. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you could be aboard. And you know, as Emily and I were talking about our last segment, which I know you had a chance to listen in on, um, yeah. we we were like, you know, we might want to talk a little bit about major and program and how that kind of uh, process affects how students apply to college and their chances of getting in. Um, yeah. You know, from school to school, major to major. Sometimes some things vary. I wanted to start with a question I got from a parent yesterday. I was giving a webinar, um, and she was curious whether applying as undecided would hurt mm-hmm. her students' chances of getting in. She didn't say where. Um, it was just right. a, a typed question that came through a webinar. But she said, you know, if my student's undecided, does that hurt uh, their chances of getting in? What would you say to that question? 
I mean, as with anything in admission, sometimes it depends on the school, of course. Um, but I right. do think that, you know, as well, yeah, some schools admit, not necessarily by major, but by school or division um, or department. Um, so, you know, sometimes students can be completely undecided about major. Um, and sometimes students might, you know, know that, think they have an idea of, you know, maybe they want to study business, but they don't know what aspect. And so they're kind of undeclared within that. So I think colleges recognize that. Students don't always know. They don't always have it figured out. Um, you know, at age 17, you know, I know I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, so yeah. I think that, you know, I think the statistics now are probably about half of the students who are applying to college are undecided, either somewhat or completely. Um, and so, so I think colleges know that, uh, you know, it's, again, it's not, you don't always have to have it all figured out. So they, you know, they, um, so I don't think it hurts, especially for school, and it depends on the school. I know I worked, the institution where I worked at Brandeis, and, you know, we, it didn't admit by major. And so, you know, we knew even if a student told us, yeah, I want to be studying biology, you know, we knew that in a semester that could change and often does. So, um, so I feel like some schools, uh, especially liberal arts colleges, are probably a little um, much more flexible with that. But, but by and large, I think the the, uh, the overall feeling is um, if you're undecided and you have to apply to a specific school within the university, you're likely going to be applying to their their arts and sciences program. And colleges understand that you know again, students are are not always not always sure. Yeah, I think that that's. That's a really great, um, a really great answer to that question. It's very similar to to what I gave, but but better worded. Um, I'm curious, though. I think you know a lot of students will say, "Well, how do I know?" Because there are some of these sort of asterisks attached, which yeah. is sometimes it does matter um, yeah. if you're applying to a particular major or program. It changes your chances of getting in. Uh, as an applicant, how can you tell if a school cares about what major you've chosen when you're actually applying? What are you looking for on the application? Well, sometimes, I mean, on an application, even on the common application, you know, schools will ask you in their supplements to select a major, to select a, a division. Um, and so, you know, that often is a, a clue in that, okay, so if I have to apply to a particular school, and some, some schools even give you an option of doing choice one, choice two, choice three, so that you have, you know, have, have that range too. So obviously if it's a school that's asking what school or department are you applying to within our university, um, you know, that's a school that is a kind of an indicator that they're probably, you know, they're reading, you know, in a different way. They may be reading by, by school or program, so they may have more of a, a sense of that. Sometimes in their essays, they, in their supplemental essays, they also will ask, you know, tell us about um, why you're applying to your chosen major, or if right. you're undecided, they still want to get a sense of, you know, what are you interested in? Tell us, you know, a little bit about kind of the the subjects that you that you're most drawn to. Yeah, that's that's actually I'm totally spaced on the essays, but that's absolutely a part of of some really important applications. Carnegie Mellon comes to mind. They have a 650 word essay on why yeah. you've chosen a particular program at CMU, right. which, which indicates I think that Cornell that's really, has yeah most of that yeah. too. And I think that it's you know, and, and again, as with anything, some, in some cases those essays can be almost more important to colleges than your common app essay because that's really, you know, if anything, you're making the case for, you know, why this particular major or program and school is, is the right fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a part, that's a really great answer almost to the question of, you know, when we start talking about gaming these systems and we think about, okay, yeah. we've got admissions decisions coming out from a variety of different schools within a university and we... We can at least assume, if we don't know, um, that some of those programs are going to be more selective than others. Before we get mm -hmm. into that sort of strategy, uh, yeah. how, is there any way for us to know? I mean, you've done a lot of 
work with our lists over the years, looking at statistics and, and data and, and major information and results that are coming back from students. Is there any way mm-hmm. to know if we're looking at Cornell, for example, um, whether it's harder to get in, you know, one school versus another? Um, sometimes. And again, it, and, for, and, and I think you have to sometimes do a little bit of digging. Um, some schools are much more transparent about, you know, acceptance rates, um, which, again, as, as you said in your previous segment, doesn't tell the whole story, but can at least give you a sense of what majors and what programs are more selective than others. Um, and, again, some schools are pretty pretty open about posting that right on their website. I know, you know, we mentioned Carnegie Mellon. You know, they, they do. They put acceptance rates average GPA, average SAT scores for all of their different programs right on their right. on their website. So if you, if you just did a web search for, you know, acceptance rate by major at, you know, this school, that was almost, you know, at Carnegie Mellon, that was the first thing that popped up. So you have to dig a little bit sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you can find it right away. Sometimes some schools may not give those statistics. Sometimes you have to, sometimes even a, a question to admissions can be a way to, you know, to get a sense of what the, what, what the acceptance rates are. So, um, so the information is usually out there. It's a question of whether or not they, how, 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 you know, easy it is at your fingertips to, um, you know, to access it. But it's, but it's good information to get because it can sometimes alter your list. Um, what, uh, you know, some, some programs can be much, much more selective than others. So if you're applying to computer science programs, those are notoriously, you know, more, more selective and, and uh, harder to get into, even if, you know, an, an acceptance rate for the general, uh, the general acceptance rate is, seems pretty high. It might be 30 or 40 percent, but computer science might be 15 percent or even less um, because that is such a, uh, you know, a, a hot field for so many kids. Right, right. And so, you know, I think if you're looking at this admissions information and you're a student or, or a family trying to make a decision, mm-hmm. you might say, all right, we see that the computer science program has an admit rate of 15%, and we see that the College of Letters and Sciences or Liberal Arts and Sciences has an admit rate of 25 or 30%. Um, yeah. You might say, why yeah. don't I just apply for that? I mean, that mm-hmm. one's easier to get into. It's got a higher admit rate. Um, now, right. you know, putting aside that question of admit rate and whether that tells the whole story, which I don't know that it does, um, is that something that a, a student should even be thinking about? Is it a smart way to put their list together? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a little bit dicey um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you have to question, okay, why am I applying to this college? You know, if you really do are one of those kids who knows what you want to do, um, that's in some ways that's great. You have, you know, it helps your research process. You know that you want to study computer science, and you're pretty sure of that. Um, if you get into another major and – you know, is that going to be the right fit to you? You know, if you want if you want to study computer science and yet you're in a program where you can't do that, um, it, it's tough. Some schools have very strict rules about whether you can transfer into a program, like a more selective program or more selective major later on. Um, some schools don't allow it because they just don't have room for it. And some schools you have to have a very, very high GPA. And so, you know, again, you're, you're kind of putting, betting on something that isn't, isn't a guarantee. And, um, and, and so that can be tricky. The other thing is even if you do get in to a less selective major, um, or even if you decide to do that, the, the reality is, Again, with most colleges, they want to know why you're applying to the school and to their program. So yeah. you have to really be able to make that case. 
and, you know, in a convincing and in a genuine way. And, you know, the answer to that question should not be, well, it's easier to get into. Um, obviously, you right. have to show that, that demonstration of, yeah, I'm really passionate about this subject and here's why and, and really talking about it. So it's, it, you know, that's harder to do if you're just really trying to apply to a, a less selective major because, you know, you want to get into school. Right. Yeah, it's much less compelling argument. If you spent your whole high school career being excited about computer science, wanting to study computer science, and then all of a sudden you write an essay on why you want to be a history major, yeah. that's going to be hard. I mean, you know, yeah. never mind the fact I you have to do a ton of research to figure out what the history major even offers and why it's valuable to you because you've been so focused on computer science. Uh, there's just not as much authenticity that's going to come out yeah. Um, yeah. In, in, that, in that essay. They're going to see that in their other rest of your application. You know, they're going to see the other, right. you know, and, and take a look at that and say, well, wow, this student really looks like he's, you know, he's more of a computer science applicant. And, you know, and, and they're going to, they're not, you know, they're going to put two and two together and figure out, all right, I, I suspect he's trying to, as you, as you put it, game the system. And um, that's, that's not usually a good, uh, a good message to send. Yeah, I mean, the, the analogy that just sort of struck me is like you're, you know, you're going to go out to eat with your parents and they say, well, we can go to this restaurant, which is less expensive, and you can order anything you want in the menu. Or we can go to the yeah. more expensive restaurant, but we're going to limit you to a certain price point. And your thought is, yeah. well, maybe once we get there, I can convince my dad to, to spend a little bit more money. This is going to be a really hard sell. And it's the same kind yeah. of thing when you're looking at, you know, a particular school and just like you don't want to be sitting in this great restaurant where everybody around you is eating something awesome and you're eating an appetizer. Um, you also don't want to be at a college where the one thing that you chose that college for that you most wanted to do is not available to you because of the, the barriers to entry. Um, and I think there's also something to be said for sort of selling yourself short too, right? Mm-hmm. To take a look at admissions and say, well, it's easier to get into that program, so I'm going to do that. You got to have a little bit of confidence that if you are a computer scientist at your core, whatever the selective program is, that that application yeah. is actually going to be better to the more selective mm-hmm. program than an application yeah. that you have to develop for one that's, that's a little bit less selective. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's more genuine. And, you know, it all goes back to, you know, the word that I probably use 20 times a day when I'm talking to, um, you know, to students and families. It's fit. It's, you know, what is going to be the best fit? You know, it's, there's no point in going to, you know, a school that, um, that you love, but you can't study what you want to study. And so, you know, finding the place. So, so in that case, that school may not be the best fit for you. You know, finding a place where you can kind of get into and, and be, you know, excited, not just about being at this university, but being in the program that you want to be in is, is really is key and, and, and being able to demonstrate that fit um, and having a much stronger application. Yeah, we, I mean, I think we we sound like a broken record at College Coach because almost every segment we come in and we say fit, fit, fit. And I, I think yeah. there's a reason, right, that it really does yeah. count. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about strategy as it pertains to the list as a whole because we're talking a little bit about one school and whether you should apply to one college or another within that university. But I think that there's also something to be said for how your list might look if you're applying for a more selective major in general, if you're looking for biomedical engineering or you're looking for um, electrical engineering or whatever it may be, you know, a lot of students out mm-hmm. there have Naviance in their high school and so they can see a scatter plot for a particular university, but they don't necessarily see the program information when they look at something like that. How right. might a student need to think about their overall shape of their college list if they're planning yeah. on applying to a more selective major or school? Well, I 
think it, it can be a little bit trickier and it can be more challenging, but I, I do think that, you know, it, it does, and it may take some extra research to find those admit and, and um, acceptance averages for the particular program that you're looking for. If you know that you're looking at a pretty specialized major, whether it's business or engineering um, or computer science or even in some cases, the you know, the arts. Um, and so it's, um, so, you know, but, and understanding that, okay, well, you know, well, a school might look, might look very much less a just right or even a no problem for general admission to really understanding that that is, you know, it may end up being much more of, um, a higher, you know, a, 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 either a reach or, um, just a high just right, if you will, one that is going to have a little bit more of a stretch to it. So it just means, you know, finding those, perhaps, you know, adding an, a couple of extra no problems just so that you have those choices um, and, and understanding that, uh, you know, the, the logistics of it and, and, um, and a little bit of the art to putting your list together. It's not as an exact science, even with statistics, as you, you talked about in, in the earlier segment. So trying to, to have that balance, but, you know, the balance, especially within the confines of the, of the specific major that you're applying to. Sometimes when I talk with students that are applying to different kinds of programs, um, the best example I can think of this is the combined BSMD program because those are very, very selective, um, mm-hmm. is I, I try and have them have almost two, two lists. They've got their BSMD yeah. list and then they've got the more traditional school list. Um, is that something that students need to do when they're looking for a selective traditional four-year major where it's like, all right, here are my comp size schools and then here are the schools for general education? Or should students be able to find um, that major across a range of, of selectivities uh, to, to be able to get the admission offers they need. Right. I, I think it sometimes depends on the major and, and certainly the school and the student, too. Part of it is also the level of um, uh, certainty that they may have that they want to study that particular major. So if they yeah. think, okay, I, you know, I really, you know, I know I've known since I was two that I want to be an engineer, then, okay, mm-hmm. you know, engineering major, you're, you're probably not going to be happy if you were looking at just perhaps a straight physics major um, or, you know, something where you can't do engineering. So, you know, that's going to drive your list, and that's where you have to perhaps, you know, find those less selective engineering programs to put together. If you're open, and in the case, I think it's a great example of the BSBMD um, combined programs, is that, you know, if you know you want to be a doctor, you know, there are a number of different pathways. And so, um, you know, the accelerated pathways, those um, combined um, programs are much more selective, and you can have a separate list or, or, you know, just add those to your list, knowing that those are going to be really in always in the reach category for almost any student because they are so selective. Um, but, you know, it, it, that's not your only path to get to, to med school. Um, and so you can, you know, you, you, you may have another list or a more a list that's easier to um, to determine your chances and, and easier to balance by just, you know, by schools that have, you know, good biology programs or chemistry or, or really any major because you can apply really with any major to med school. But that's a, right. another segment. In that's own. a whole other segment. Um, yeah. Exactly. But that's the thing. So it, it, it really it can depend in big part in terms of, you know, what you, you know, even though you think you might want that program, would you be happy at a school that maybe, you know, has a slightly different major? Um, so it's not engineering, you know, if you want to do perhaps more science research, um, then it means you can use, then you have, you may have some schools on your list and they may be higher in terms of your interest level um, for, for the, you know, the more specialized programs, but, but, but you'd be, you know, then schools, some schools might be better fit or just a good fit for, you know, for the less selective programs as well. Yeah, I think that's that's right on, and that's that's really terrific advice, um, Julia. That's all the time we've got uh, for this segment. Appreciate you coming on the show and helping us uh, work Great. through it. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks a lot. Thanks for and if, you listeners, I hope that you, uh, between the first and second segment, have a little bit of useful information now, um, especially if you're a junior and you start starting to think about what your college list is going to look like for how you might balance that list and what those statistics are going to mean as you're shaping it for you. So um, we'll be back uh, right after this break to talk about lending um, and loans in the college uh, payment process. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. We're here for our final segment. I almost like to think about it as our finance corner. Um, we've always got a, a really terrific uh, finance expert to come on, and, and today it's not Kathy Ruby. She seems to be the only one who ever wants to come and talk to me, but thankfully, uh, not that I don't like Kathy, we've got Tara Piantanita Kelly on the on the show today. Tara, it's nice to have you aboard. Great. Thanks. Nice to be back. Of course. And so we're talking a little bit about loans today, and, and I think you know a lot of people, when they talk about financial aid, they think about a financial aid package as being a scholarship or a grant. And usually financial aid packages are also going to include loans and they come, you know, many shapes and sizes, all different sources. What are some things that people need to be looking for as they're starting to break down that financial aid package and and specifically looking at the amount that's coming from loans? Gotcha. That's a a great question. Well, the, the, 
what I usually like to start with is kind of know, know the basics before you decide you need to, to borrow. If, if you take a look at the package and, and you see that the school um, doesn't cover everything or enough based on what you can come out of out-of-pocket and savings and, and grants and scholarships, then there's going to be a, something that you need to finance, something that you need to borrow. Um, you know, start, start with some basic questions, you know, number one. Who is going to borrow? Is it going to be in the student's name? Is it going to be in the parent's name? Is it going to be a combination of the two where the student is the borrower and the parent is the co-signer? So, you know, and, and different families have different philosophies. You know, I talk to families all day and one might say, you know, I, um, I paid for my own way through school, so, you know, anything that needs to be borrowed is going to be in my kid's name. Okay. Yeah. And then on the flip side, I have families that say, you know, my parents covered all of my costs. So I'm going to cover all of his costs, and if that means I need to borrow, it'll, it'll be in my name. And that's fine, too. And then there's a kind of a combination in between. They're both going to borrow. So lots of different ways to cover it. But who borrows is it sometimes changes a little bit about the sources, right? Because there are rules attached to student loans. There are rules attached to parent loans. Um, is there some strategic thinking that needs to happen, even if you're sort of deciding the student's going to cover most of the cost or the parent's going to cover most of the cost? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, back in the day, there was the old guaranteed student loan, and it's still around. It's morphed into something called the Federal Direct or the Federal Direct Stafford Loan, but it's still around. And it's a loan that the student can borrow in their own name, no co-signer required, no credit required. Um, if the student wants it, and they, they qualify for it just based on being, a, you know, at least a half-time student, um, then they can get it. But there are loan limits associated with that. So, for you know, as a freshman, the most they can borrow on that program, a dependent undergraduate student, $5,500. So depending on where the student's going, that's not going to cover a lot. So sometimes when families find that out, they think, oh, you know, here I was planning on, you know, my, my college planning involved my student borrowing a lot more than $5,500 for their freshman year and then $6,500 for the sophomore year and $7,500 each year for, for junior and senior. But still... It doesn't go very far. So that's when parents say, okay, well, that's plan A. What is, what is plan, you know, what, what's the second part of that? Do, do I have right. to cover the difference? Can the student borrow on a private educational loan? You know, what are, what are our options? So, so there, and, and there are a lot. Is there, I mean, at this point, so let's say you're, you're advising a family and they're in a position where the student has hit that limit, so 5,500, and there's still money that needs to be accounted for, usually through a loan. Do you, do you often say, like, hey, let's take a pause here and think about the fact that we're having to get into different territory as we think about these loans, or do you just sort of say, all right, let's look for the next source? Um, might this, in other words, change how you approach maybe where you choose to go um, or what you're, what you're willing to pay for, for your education? Um, I will occasionally go down that path. Uh, you know, for the most part, I, I do not give advice. I just give information. So it's like these are your options. You know, mm-hmm. after you have all of your information, you make your you know the, the decision that's right for your family. Um, and sometimes that means you know a family borrowing to levels that I think are excessive. But it's not my place to say you know that's borrowing too much for you. So if, if I think a family might be headed down that that road, what I might say is okay, you know, this is what we're looking at. This is what it's going to cost. Let's multiply that times four years. And now mm-hmm. let's take a look and see what uh, that that loan that you're borrowing, the total loan amount that you're borrowing, what kind of payments are you looking at? You know, what, and, and is this going to be in the student's name? Um, I just did this 
for a family earlier this week where the student was looking at a, a school where she was going to have to borrow, you know, $30,000 a year. And, and I said, okay, well, based on, you know, 120 grand when she graduates, she's going to be making payments in excess of $2,000 a month every month for the next 10 years after she graduates. How's that going to work for her? And the mother was like, oh my God, it never occurred to me to yeah. look at it from that, from that angle. Maybe we should be looking at a different school. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's a choice. <laughs> so, so, but it's good so, to know the, the end result of what all this borrowing is. Totally. So if you're trying to figure out what your monthly payment's going to be coming out, what are some of the things that you need to know about the loan itself? Ah, well, you're going to, going to want to know the, the total loan amount that you're looking at borrowing. So if you're looking at borrowing $30,000 a year, multiply that times four. That's $120,000. And then you're also going to want to look at the average interest rate. So right now, you know, student loans have, uh, federal student loans at least, uh, are, are regulated as far as what their interest rate is. It's a fixed interest rate for each loan. Um, but you can kind of take a guess at, at to what they might be over the next few years. So let's say there's an average interest rate of, well, since there's private loans, let's say 6%. So if we have $120,000 worth of loans at 6% interest and a 10-year repayment, which is kind of a standard repayment time, what would that payment be? And there are calculators all over the Internet that can uh, do that calculation for you. There's One of my favorites is, is just called bankrate.com. They have tons of different loan calculators, including a student loan calculator. So you could go in there and plug in those numbers and say, oh, hmm, I don't know if a, a $2,300 student loan payment every month is going to work for me. <laughs> Maybe I need to make some different choices. Right. Right. Now, one of the things that I, you know, I'm getting up there in terms of my my years, and so I'm, I always look at things like like credit, and there's a lot of things out there like uh, you know the Nerd Wallet or your bank or Credit Karma. You can figure out what your credit report looks like and that's something that I think students maybe are not thinking about so much, but does become important when you want to buy a house or buy a car or get another loan later on in the future. Um, what kind of credit ramifications are there for student loans? Oh, that's an excellent question. So, so for the, the federal loan, so let's, let's say we have a family and they're looking at, at a federal student loan. No, there's no credit required to, to get that student loan. And then nice. let's say that the family needs to borrow a total of you know, $15,000, so mom and dad are going to borrow on the federal parent plus loan. There is a small credit component to that it's, it, and when, when they apply for that loan. Um, and it's not a regular credit check. They don't look at your FICO score or your debt-to-income ratio, but they do pull your credit. And as long as there's no adverse credit history and what they're looking at is, you know, any bankruptcies or foreclosures in the last five years or any accounts that are currently 90 days past due. But as long as you don't have anything like that, the parents can essentially borrow as much as they need to. Like, for instance, if, you know, Johnny gets into Harvard and they need to borrow 70 grand a year to send him to Harvard, they can do that on the Federal Parent Plus loan as long as they don't have any adverse credit history. So that, that's kind of on the front end. And then, or if, if the student decided, if the, the family decided, okay, we're going to have the, the student borrow on a private educational loan and we will act as, as the co-signers, as the parents. Um, that is a completely credit-based loan, meaning they do look at your debt-to-income ratio, they do look at your FICO scores, and they set the um, interest rate accordingly. So, you know, there's there's some front-end credit things to consider, but then there's also some back-end uh, when, when you think about, okay, now let's say the student has graduated and does have $120,000 in student loans, um, what it, and, and let's say she gets a job and she's making 
you know, 40 or 50 grand, um, what is her debt to income ratio going to look like? How is she going to qualify for an apartment or a car or, you know, a mortgage at some point when her debt to income ratio is so high because of her student loans? So there's, there's credit things to think about on the front end. Do I have the credit to get this loan? And there's a credit thing on the back end. If I do get this loan, what is that, how is that going to impact my credit after I graduate? Gotcha. So a lot. There's a lot that goes into this. A lot of things that sort of break down. Um, we're talking almost from the perspective of, you know, to some degree, some seniors making this decision as they're choosing to apply. But I think that there's also, you know, we're, we want to pass the torch on to juniors as they start thinking about this. Um, what's What are steps that we need to take in order to actually apply for loans? I know that there are some things that need to happen before the actual, um, you know, application or decision for where you attend. Um, but but what are the steps that we can take to get that money? So, so if you decide as a family that the student is going to borrow on the federal loan program or the parent is going to borrow on the parent federal parent loan program or both, the first step is always the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. That is the, the first step in applying for your federal student or your federal parent loan. So um, you'll, you'll complete the FAFSA. You'll list the schools that you're interested in, in going to. When those schools receive the information, they'll say, oh, okay, well, as, as soon as the student is accepted, we'll send them out a financial aid award. That financial aid award will usually have the federal student loan eligibility for the student, and then the school may or may not put the parent's federal parent plus loan eligibility on their award letters. It varies widely. Some schools do, some schools don't. But just know that the parents, if you decide to, regardless of whether a federal parent plus loan shows up on the award letter or not, if you want to borrow on that federal program, you can absolutely apply to do that at any school, whether it shows up on their award letter or not. So then let's say the school, the student uh, picks the school that they're going to go to. Then the student and the parent are going to work with that school's financial aid office to uh, complete the process of getting the federal student loan and or the federal parent plus loan. Okay. Gotcha. Are there any other final tips that you want to share on the, the lending process? I feel like we covered most of it. Yep. Yeah. Well, just, you know, we, we like to say no before you owe. Um, I, I tell families right. all the time, you, you have you, sacrifices will be made when it comes to paying for college. Um, sure. So right now you get to pick which sacrifice you make. Am I going to let my student borrow $120,000 or am I going to say no, you have to pick a, a different school? So just know before you owe so that you're making the best, most informed decisions for your family. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Tara, for lending your advice to us. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. All right, we look forward to the next time we have you on the show. I think it was just a couple of weeks from now, which would be great. Um, yeah, thank you. All right, I'd like to take this opportunity to predict the Warriors will sweep my Blazers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Come on, re- reverse jinx. Work your magic. Uh, next week, Sally Gango will be the hosting a look at the in, uh, inside look at the MIT and Caltech admission offices. And we'll also discuss the process of applying to college for students on the autism spectrum. And because summer is just around the corner, we'll be bringing you a discussion on summer jobs and paying for college. As always, if there's something you want to know about in greater detail, remember you can always send us an email at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We have frequent Q&A sessions on the show and would love to answer your questions sometime soon. Until next week, Week. Enjoy the blossoming spring. Have a delightful day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. 
Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 